When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's episode includes raccoons, Vaseline, physical fitness, hiding under your desk, and, of course, 20th century laissez-faire politics. Hello, and welcome to Cutting Class Podcast with Jess and Joe. April Fool's! No, you haven't hit play on the wrong podcast. This is the Presidencies of the United States, and I am your host, Jerry Landry. However, in honor of this jovial holiday, I, along with a group of podcasters, are playing a game of switcheroo today, turning over our feeds to another podcast for an episode. Thus, for your listening pleasure, Jess and Joe of the Cutting Class Podcast are taking over. If you like what you hear, the Cutting Class Podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else fine podcasts can be found. Or you can check out their website at cuttingclasspodcast, that's all one word, dot com. Since we've been paired up, I've been catching up on their presidential history episodes as well. And I think you'll want to cut class with me today and give them a listen. I'd also like to give a shout out to our fellow Operation Switcheroo partners, Eddie and Patty at the BAYK podcast. And a special thanks to Moxie Labouche of the Your Brain on Facts podcast for organizing all of this. I'll be linking to all these on my social media, so head over to my Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram for more info. Now, without further ado, I hand it back over to Jess and Joe so that they can share with us more about Silent Cow Coolidge. We are just so excited to share this information with each other and with you. It's, it's going to be cool. It's going to be a cool episode. I'm really excited. So what do all these things have in common, of course? The, uh, so the, the Vaseline, the yeah. raccoons... Uh, they're all things that are currently in this room. <laughs> <laughs> These are all, uh, of course, moments with Calvin Coolidge. It's got to be. It's got to be with you. The one man for the job. There's only one person who could have all those things in common. So, Joe, can you tell us a little bit about who is Calvin Coolidge? We've probably all heard him before, but we may not remember back to uh, you know high school anything about this guy. So, what? Who is basically this guy? Okay, uh, as as a as a as a high school teacher, and as you know, we do have to talk about Calvin Coolidge. So I just know kind of the basics, and it's what I show the kids. And that's all though. That's all though. That's all. Yeah, that's all I remember. Uh, just the high points, I guess, for high points that we have for Calvin Coolidge. He's one of our twenties presidents. Uh, he takes over after President Harding dies of a heart attack, and he's known for not being particularly um, colorful, which, as I think today, we will argue. The opposite of totally, that. totally untrue. He is easily one of the more interesting presidents that I know about now. Right, he's kind of one of those dudes. He's uh, he's never he's never listed in top ten. He's never bottom ten. He's just there, and a lot of people just say he didn't he didn't speak a lot. He didn't do a lot. Very hands off. Right. Kind of what you would imagine a twenties president would do. Let the economy do it. Let the people do their thing. And call me, you know, call me when the Russians invade. <laughs> So much like uh, all of our lessons in the classroom, um, he is one of those things that has come and gone and quickly been forgotten. 
Uh, <laughs> that cuts way too close to the bone. But uh, unfortunately, that is uh, way too simple for Calvin Coolidge. There's way more to him. And so this is the 1920s, right? This is a cool time period of the Jazz Age and the Great Gatsby and Flappers and Prohibition and just, you know, post-World War One trauma. A really exciting time. So one of the things about Calvin Coolidge is sometimes he's known as Silent Cal. One of the things that Calvin Coolidge was known for doing was staying kind of taciturn. I appreciate not, that. Not a man of many words. So I got some quotes here from Calvin Coolidge that I think really illustrate this idea. So first off, one of the quotes from Calvin Coolidge is, if you don't say anything, you will not be called upon to repeat it. <laughs> that is sagacious advice if I've ever heard it. If you don't say anything... You'll never be asked to repeat it. So um, Calvin Coolidge was a man uh, who often would go long periods of time with saying as little as he possibly could. And, and possibly my favorite quote to illustrate this point is the following. Quote, if you keep dead still, they will run down in three or four minutes. And if you cough or smile, they'll start up all over again. I, I actually found that same quote, and I couldn't stop laughing because the, the, the article that I read on it said that he actually said that to Herbert Hoover. It, in fact, it was. Herbert Hoover would come to talk to him about, you know, how on earth did you get through so many meetings? And can you imagine? He just didn't say anything. Can you imagine coming to the president of the United States and having this important meeting and you sit down with him and you you start to kind of spill the beans and talk right. about everything you need to talk about. And he just stares you down. When he was the governor of Massachusetts, long before he was vice president or anything like that, uh, actually one of his successors came to him later on. And this guy had been busy in meetings until like nine o'clock at night. And he said to Calvin, he says, you know, how on earth did you get done by five o'clock every day? You know, what is the secret? What are you doing wrong? How, how is it that I'm working four hours more a day than you are? And Calvin Coolidge looked at him, and I imagine just kind of deadpan said, <laughs> you talk back. <laughs> that was the only answer he that gave? Was, that was the entire response. Uh, you know, it, it, actually, as, we, as I was doing my research, I, I think I would place Calvin Coolidge in my top five. I know Ronald Reagan did. I think I am, too. I'm going to go... <laughs> I'm going to go full Reagan on this and give him 10 Reagans out of 10. I found another quote, too, because now that we're talking about Silent Cal, uh, just a real short one where apparently he, he complained a lot as president of what he put, the perpetual clamor for public utterances. <laughs> it just I mean, inf infuriated him, I guess. I need everybody to just be quiet. All right, just let me think. Calvin was known as, you know, some, you know, there's really no way to, to quantify this, but a lot of people seem to think that he was probably one of our most intelligent presidents, which... I'm not going to argue everything that you've told me so far. I'm I'm totally on board with this guy. I kind of almost see him as one of those guys that's almost so smart that he kind of makes other people uncomfortable in the room. Or he's so smart as to realize if he didn't speak, people would think that about him. And <laughs> exactly. Another great story about him being Silent Cal was actually he visits the West Coast, which was, you know, kind of a hard thing to do in the 1920s. Yeah, you, know, yeah. you don't have air travel very easily. So he's out on the West Coast and he's interviewed on the new radio. And very the, exciting. Yeah. The radio coast asked him, you know, do you have any message for your West Coast listeners and, you know, the West Coast Americans? And supposedly he sat silently for a while and 
thought to himself and just said goodbye. <laughs> um, when he was running for office, another great story was um, a reporter asked him, uh, do you have any statement on the campaign? Calvin said, <laughs> no. Can you tell us anything about the world situation? No. Any information about prohibition? No. Knowing that they weren't going to get anything from this president, the reporters finally just decided to just leave. <laughs> just left? They just left because he wouldn't tell them anything. So, it, so like, his advice, like, I'm going to look at that quote again. The perpetual clamor for public utterances. If you don't give the people what they want, they'll go somewhere else. <laughs> My favorite part of that story is after the interviewers are leaving, he actually kind of raises his hand. He says, hey, guys, wait. And they kind of turn around thinking, you know, he's going to tell them something useful. And he says, don't quote me. <laughs> Did he <laughs> didn't he give him a finger gun afterwards or something? <laughs> Probably the classic story that most people uh, might have heard, but it may not be true. But his wife did authenticate this later on. Was there was a, a fancy dinner party? Oh yeah, this one's classic. A prominent woman sat down by Calvin Coolidge and she tried to make conversation with him, and she tried her best all night. She was just trying to get some sort of conversation out of him. Fool's errand. <laughs> Finally, she gives up because he had been sitting there stony-faced, nothing to go on. And uh, she said, oh, Mr. Calvin Coolidge, you are so silent, but you must talk to me. I made a bet today that I could make more than two words out of you. And Calvin looked at her like a boss and said, <laughs> you lose. Which is just perfect because she's it like, is. I need three words and, you know, nothing. That's... That's up. He so it almost sounds like he was the the action star of his day, hitting yeah. him with these deadpan one liners. Because you know he probably had to think about that one for a little while, and then how can how can I really you know get this this debutante this tart? How can I get her out of my face? <laughs> ah, <laughs> and bam, you lose. It sounds like something McBain would have said. Yeah, it's a McBain kind of quote. I mean, it's a Clint Eastwood kind of moment. <laughs> I mean, nothing better than these these kinds of one-liners that he came up with. You lose. Finally, along that line, probably the most appropriate tribute was after Calvin Coolidge died. They had a um, moment of silence? <laughs> <laughs> no. When he, when he, he's going to finally die of a heart attack at age 60, right? Oh, that's definitely... Apparently doing a puzzle at home. <laughs> <laughs> it was just too much. <laughs> the excitement was too intense. He couldn't find that last piece. <laughs> <laughs> he will he will die at the age of 60 and uh probably the best statement came from the new yorkers dorothy parker who said when when she heard out that calvin coolidge had died she said how do they know <laughs> I, I found that same thing and i actually this doesn't really go with silent cal but i think this says volumes about this guy and i think the more we talk about him the more i genuinely think i enjoy this person mm-hmm he said apparently at one point in dealing dealing with politics and just dealing with the, the stress of, of the office and the job, he apparently told somebody, if you see ten troubles coming down the road, you can be sure that nine will run into the ditch before they reach you. <laughs> so, so I guess just uh, wait. Do Just do your thing. What other things can you share me about Calvin Coolidge that you might have found? Uh, that I found, I, I did find, actually it was on the same article where I found about the Dorothy Parker, Alice Roosevelt. Okay. Who I think he's I think he's the oldest daughter of of TR. Apparently Alice Roosevelt once said, and I don't know what this means, but I loved it. It got me tickled in in talking about his appearance. Right. You know, and and we will be talking later on as how do you build that body like Calvin Coolidge? Of course. So this is the look we're going for. Imagine 
Uh, Alice Roosevelt here said uh, that Calvin Coolidge looked as if he had been weaned on a pickle. <laughs> this is kind of a like a like a sour puckered. <laughs> That's expression. what I'm imagining. I'm imagining. I'm imagining uh, like borderline desiccated and bumpy. <laughs> and it's it's so weird, you know, looking back into these people's lives because on one hand you have these these really kind of dour looks and these right. you know bland, stale presidential figures, but then you learn some things about him that he he almost seems childlike in some ways. Yeah, and and I guess and even before we get into that, we can you know I've got a couple of quotes here that I've used in school before to kind of you know because part of the whole thing we teach about Calvin Coolidge is the the laissez faire politics and the hands off and. I always use this quote, especially with the booming 20s economy and all this, is he, he's quoted as saying something to the effect of the chief business of the American people is business, which is is so stupid. But at the same time, when when you actually think about what he's saying, it's so profound. Right. And, and but so this is the type of guy we're talking about. And there's another part to that quote we don't need to get into. But oh, yeah, the other one here, this one, I think, is, is borderline even more ridiculous. But also fits with the twenties, and then when we juxtapose this with what we're about to learn about this person, yeah. So, so the chief business of American people is business. Also, the man who builds a factory builds a temple. The man who works there worships there, and to each is due not scorn and blame, but reverence and praise. <laughs> wow, I mean, it, here's a guy who can turn something as simple as you know working in a rubber nipple factory into <laughs> right. something that is spiritual right. and poetic yeah you know you know I, I know when i go to work every day i imagine it is sort of a quasi-religious experience i feel transfixed as walking through the hallways the hallowed halls i know there's a lot of bowed heads and uh silent figures in my classroom <laughs> there are there are <laughs> yeah I, I really feel like uh, you know i didn't build the school so I, I didn't create the temple but as someone that's employed by one I definitely feel like I worship there. <laughs> I definitely do. I really feel it. that's why I wear my uh, my priest collar. <laughs> and to have a, a true body by Calvin Coolidge, yeah, one that looks like you were weaned on a pickle. Right. It's it's not just about slender good looks or that nice facial appearance. Sometimes you have to exercise your mind. Yeah, and yeah, definitely, definitely. This is one of the things Calvin Coolidge, I think, was really known for doing. I think Calvin Coolidge, as such a smart individual, he would he would kind of play jokes on people. That I keep think on their toes, right? Only he found funny, right? I, I like where this is going. So, so one of the things Calvin Coolidge would do is he would like to prank people, and 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 usually these pranks, again, like I think he was the only person laughing <laughs> about these jokes, which maybe that's like a sign of his brilliance. Maybe he's just he's so far above everybody else that he's he's making these these jokes that nobody else really gets. Yeah, I mean, and you know, he's dead, but Cal, if you're listening, I'm currently laughing. <laughs> In 1924, one time he invites this large group of military admirals and generals over for a meal. And so, you know, they expect, logically, that this is an, an important meeting. There's an right. upcoming bill that actually was on there that we need to get And into. I know that if there's a group of men that I would target immediately for a prank, it's high-ranking military officials. Yeah, the fun-loving military. They're always <laughs> known for their light humor and, you know, good spirits. Right, yeah, yeah. So they all get prepared. They prepare their documents and reports and, of course, all this paperwork. And, you know, they think, oh, we're meeting with the president. Here's this big deal. Right. So they sit down for this, this uh, basically a brunch. And during this entire meal, he doesn't speak to them. <laughs> 
just silence. And yeah. and you can imagine the tension in the room is right. like cutting through like a cold quiche. Just just <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing there. They're waiting, you know, kind of like well, when, when is this yeah, going to so start? It, it's the ice that doesn't break. And and the funny thing to be is, so you would think that at some point Calvin would would you know break. Calvin never breaks. Finally, they they finally pick up the subtle hint that this is a giant waste of time. Yeah, and eventually leave. Calvin <laughs> never actually like springs the joke. <laughs> Those closest to Calvin say that as soon as these guys got up and left, and the few guys who did stick around, he just burst into laughter, thinking this was the funniest joke he'd ever played. And the best part is, you know. Especially with a lot of these these government salaries, you know, paid for by taxpayer dollars, that's the real joke. It's <laughs> all this time. Says somebody wasted. else paid for this. <laughs> Jokes on it's you, just the American taxpayer. No big deal. So uh, another joke that he was known for doing was that he had a, a head of detail, right? One of his his top guys named Colonel Edmund Starling. Okay, and. It was kind of a little game. I get, I get the impression from the readings I've done is that it was a little game between him and Edmund Starling that he would try to sneak out of the White House and not let his security know where he was. <laughs> is this one of those games where the other person playing the game doesn't realize that a game is being played? <laughs> I mean, based on, on what I've read from Starling, he kind of took it kind of good-naturedly. Okay, okay. But at, at the same time... What a bizarre thing for the president to do. Yeah, you you know, can you can you imagine in 2017 a a viral video of, of <laughs> Donald, Donald Trump, Trump sneaking away from the secret service just to <laughs> just for the jokes. I mean, and he took this game pretty seriously. I'm going to get into some of these things that he would do, but you know, just for the laughs trying to evade your own <laughs> security guards. Yeah. So one of the ways that he would try to, to lose Edmund Starling is he would try to sneak out the back door entrance or through the basement only, only to find out that the, you know, the other members of the White House staff kind of picked up on this game, and they would let <laughs> Starling know where he was. Buzzkills, man. <laughs> so there was a great story in which he actually kind of got out you know, and, and kind of got off to the grounds, and he was almost off of the White House premises. <laughs> and Starling was waiting there kind of at the gates, and yeah. he apparently got really sulky because he got <laughs> caught. <laughs> I found a thing about him being sulky that... I I cried about when I read okay. it, and not because I was sad, just because it was it was so ridiculous. And in 1924, so this this would have been, uh, if I'm thinking right, after he he won the election, you know, because he finished right. Harding's term and then I think was reelected. He he of course nominated uh, an attorney general, the Senate, you know, uh, right. you could confirm or deny, and they rejected this person. Apparently, upon hearing the news of <laughs> of the, the mean old Senate okay. rejecting his choice. One of the bodyguards, maybe it was Mr. Starling, right. reportedly said, and I quote, that they saw Calvin Coolidge take a curtain cord from the Oval Office anteroom and absently tie it into knots. <laughs> I guess. So, this, is, this is a guy who needs an early fidget device, right? <laughs> In the 20s, kids, before we had fidget spinners, you had to just tie the drapes into bows. <laughs> Sadness, sadness knots because they they wouldn't take his supreme or his uh, his uh, attorney general. Maybe it was a physical representation of the turmoil within his heart. <laughs> his slam poetry that weekend was going to be off the chain. <laughs> Coolidge fully unplugged, <laughs> unplugged and off the curtain rod. <laughs> 
Sterling actually said that uh, if the mood suited him, one of the, and that's the words he used, <laughs> if the mood suited him, Calvin Coolidge would sometimes, he had a buzzer, right, that would notify the house staff that he needed something. And if the mood suited him, he would press this buzzer <laughs> and alert everyone that actually he was on the way to the White House. Yeah. Which would then, you know, result in the policemen and doormen and everyone be getting in position and kind of making the place look presentable <laughs> for him. And, and then Calvin would intentionally take the back exit <laughs> so that everyone would be waiting around for him to show up and he, he would never, never be there. That's always a, a bad thing. It's, in every TV show and cartoon, that's always the setup is someone's injured and they have the bell. <laughs> right. Calvin Coolidge, again. I think he started that. He, he was the inspiration for Looney Tunes. I, I, I think I found it in the research. I'm just going to go ahead and say it's fact. Yeah, of course. I'm going to say that Calvin Coolidge is the first known ding dong ditcher of the White House. <laughs> And it's actually the president himself, which is even better. Another really great moment with this buzzer is sometimes he would <laughs> ring this buzzer while at his desk, just so the White House staff, he would frantically start pressing this thing, right? <laughs> just so that the White House staff would rush into his office trying to see what was going on. And he would supposedly just hide under his desk or behind the curtains. <laughs> like George Costanza. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they would look around for him. And uh, this is apparently not just a one-time event. Like, this happened multiple <laughs> times, such to the point that they finally took his buzzer away from him. <laughs> you, you should have seen the curtain cords after that day. <laughs> they were full of knots. The whole, the whole White House was tied into a knot when he came. <laughs> or can you, can you imagine? You're Mr. Starling. And you, you go in there and you're thinking, oh, my God, you know, there, there's some sort of emergency. Maybe he's having a heart attack. And then you run in and you look and you see the curtains. And you look down, and you see a man's <laughs> freshly polished shoes sticking out. And you must think to yourself at some point, this is, this is the president of the United States hiding behind the curtains. Right. This, you know, I, I guess at you know, that time he wasn't the guy in charge of the nukes because we didn't have him, but maybe it was just it was, it was a different time. You know, it's a simpler time. <laughs> when, when, you could, when you could play the buzzer game with, <laughs> with the White House security. As you know, I have a daughter. She is uh, two and a half. My she's great. Yeah, she's wonderful. Adorable kid. And, uh, you know, every now and then we'll play hide and go seek. And she's yeah. she's not really at the age yet where she fully gets hide and seek. Right. Where she'll literally, she'll run for about five seconds and then just fall on the floor and cover her face. And Freeze. just pretend like she's hiding. Yeah, taking the, was it the T-Rex method? If, if you don't move. Right. If you, won't see you. <laughs> uh, but it's cute, you know. For the two and a half year old, I can't imagine with the yeah. you know the the president of the United States, a fully grown man, a fully grown man hiding behind who, the curtains or who, onto his desk, right? A fully grown man who otherwise will not engage in conversation. So you have no <laughs> idea what's going through this guy's head when he's doing this. I just I would I would kill for a real picture of yeah. Calvin Coolidge huddled under the White House Oval Office right. desk. Just with with boyhood glee on his face, <laughs> waiting for the Secret Service to find him. Right. Can you imagine just what that might have looked like? And now it, it makes even it makes it even better to now imagine that when when Ronald Reagan took office, there was a, I think it was a picture of like Harry Truman that was up in the White House, right? And and Ronald Reagan had it taken down and replaced with a picture of Calvin Coolidge. Like that, that was <laughs> that was his that was his guy. Is there a presidential like favorites game that I'm I think, not aware I of? I think there is. Can you imagine if deep down in his heart? And you know, we could maybe even do an episode on Reagan and some just his cheesy jokes about communism. Right. He definitely had a, a little flair for kind of humor. <laughs> of do you think maybe the reason he put Coolidge had nothing to do with Republican ideals? It was 
totes about <laughs> about just screwing with people. Maybe it was just for the kicks and the giggles. <laughs> the old Gipper had a couple jokes up his sleeve, and one of them was Calvin Cooley. I'm sure. I'm sure. Every now and then, you know, he would call for Nancy and then hide behind the uh, hide under the covers. <laughs> Maybe Nancy won't see me. <laughs> She'd see a trail of jelly beans up to the bed and be like, all right, Reagan. Okay, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah, Ron- <laughs> this ding-dong dishing wasn't just left for the buzzers, though. Apparently, he would also do this to the t- elevator operators. Oh, man. Where he would he would buzz the elevator operator, you know, yeah. when they actually had a guy in the elevator who'd come down and lower the lift to you. Can you imagine? And they would open the door to find that there was nobody there. <laughs> and he had jumped off to the side to take the take the stairs. So, so first off, I'm sure that this elevator operator is is you know got to be a minimum wage, right? Right. This poor person has this job <laughs> where you have to stand in an elevator and just go up and down all day. And poor, poor guy, his boss, the man, the leader of the free world, is gonna screw with him, and then take the stairs to build the body by Calvin. <laughs> Well, that's how you get that extra body is taking the stairs when you could have taken the lift. <laughs> it's a whole part of the workout regimen. Did we, we either just became British or you just made a reference to a service that drives you when you're drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of making the perfect body by Calvin. I was say, we got to get back to this. I, we, we, yeah, we've mentioned this. You said it. I want to look like a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> I want Alice Roosevelt to look at me and think, man, I want that body. I'd be happy with any Roosevelt looking at me and thinking about my body. <laughs> Look at that gherkin man. <laughs> so what are some of the other ways that Calvin would keep his body fit and trim? Yeah, I, I, I've i looked, and, and so I, I know that we're going to have to talk about this. I don't know if this goes in with the fitness, but now may be the time to break out the petroleum jelly. The Vaseline? The... I think it might be time. Okay, how... No, I'm going to just let you explain it to me, because if I start trying to guess where this Vaseline's going to fit into yeah, yeah. the story of Calvin, then this is going to go somewhere that's going to have to be labeled explicit. So right. uh, tell me, <laughs> how does Vaseline fit into the story of Calvin Coolidge? So I'm taking a real roundabout way to get here, but uh, so you figure, you know, part of the physical fitness is also the nutrition you put in your body, right? Right. Okay, so everyone knows, you know, you, you are what you eat and, and all these things. So apparently, uh, that, that I found from the New York Sun, in the, when they, they put together these sort of facts on Calvin Coolidge, that his, his favorite breakfast was a, was a bowl of boiled wheat and rye. <laughs> what? Yeah. A bowl of boiled wheat and rye. Yeah. <laughs> a bland breakfast for a seemingly bland president. I have a feeling why they did not market this and do like Ian Malcolm and now you want to sell it, now you want to sell it, now you right. want to sell it. Why they didn't put this out there and that was the tagline was a bland meal for a bland person. Coolidge flakes. <laughs> Keep cool with Coolidge. Now, I'm imagining with my with my box of Coolidge flakes a, a tiny like toy-sized jar of Vaseline that comes along with it, but I'm still not sure how I should apply it as part of my regimen. Right. Uh, so apparently... I'm just going to go ahead and say this is part of the fitness. This goes with the nutrition. This goes with the relaxation. you got to get the, the sound mind as well as the body. <laughs> right. And what, what better way to, to prepare yourself mentally, spiritually, for a day of not speaking than having one of your presidential <laughs> aides come by, bring you in bed your boiled wheat and rye. Sir, Mr. President, we have your boiled wheat and rye. Also, your, your daily uh, petroleum rub for your forehead and scalp. <laughs> <laughs> and then as 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 you sit there as as Calvin Coolidge sits there and and shovels this gruel into his gullet 
<laughs> some poor employee of the White House has to massage his scalp with with Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> and was there a was there any like thought behind the Vaseline? Like, what was the purpose of this ritual? I oddly enough, I found a quote from Calvin Coolidge as to why he enjoyed this, and as you can imagine, it's as taciturn as it gets. <laughs> okay, as you might say, uh, Mr. President, sir, why the the bowl of boiled wheat and rye with a uh, chaser of Vaseline rubbed down on your face? Quote: It was good for the health. <laughs> Calvin Coolidge doesn't need to answer your questions. No. This is what I want to do. I'm the president, man. And I don't think he did. <laughs> can you, you can imagine it's it's like, uh, you know, when you go to your grandparents' house or sometimes, you know, like my parents always tell me stories about uh, grandma and grandpa putting, uh, it was like Vicks Vapor Rub on their chest. Right. And they would get sick. And you, you know that smell. Everyone knows that smell of like kind of, I imagine it to smell like Ben Gay almost. I know that's not what petroleum <laughs> jelly smells like, but I figure if you have enough and you mix it with boiled wheat and rye. Right. That his room has got to smell like a hospital bed. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, it it sounds pretty healthy, and maybe that was just what he needed to do to get kind of started for the morning. Yeah, because uh, I know you've got something coming up. What's the main focus of the body by Calvin? How do, how do you really build that those abs? The truest abs? Well, the truest laissez-faire hands-off abs you've ever seen in your life. There's a couple different ways that you could do this. The roaring abs. Uh, but, well, it's a way that's a little bit unorthodox. I one like that I like it. I'm not sure many people would, would guess, but uh, it's it's kind of one of these uh, au naturel ways of dealing with it. Yeah, yeah. You want to know the way that Calvin kept himself fit and trim and constantly youthful and energetic and, quite frankly, just looking amazing. What is your secret? Well, raccoon walking. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Calvin Coolidge was known for having a pet raccoon. Okay. <laughs> and not not just having a pet raccoon, but but literally walking the thing like a dog around the, yeah. <laughs> the White House grounds. Did With, he did you catch a name? Did it have a name for Oh, that? it totally had a name. It's got to be Rocky, right? It's no, got to be Rocky. It's not going to be Rocky raccoon. It's Rebecca. Rebecca oh, the raccoon. Of course, I, I didn't mean to presume the raccoon's well, gender. At, at first he did, actually. Uh, when he first received the raccoon as a gift, he actually called it a boy in the quotes of it, and you'll find out <laughs> later that it was actually a female raccoon. So they'll have to change the name. Uh, yeah, after it made a, a scathing YouTube review of Calvin <laughs> So wait, wait, somebody gifted him a raccoon? Yeah, no, okay. So what is happening? This is the amazing thing. It's, it's okay, first off, it's Thanksgiving, 1926. You give okay? gifts for Thanksgiving in the 20s? You, apparently, this is a thing for the president is so to receive this, gifts. This is why the, the 20s roared. Like, you can just do whatever you want. What an amazing time. Okay, so so first off, Calvin's family for the for Thanksgiving 1926 is going to receive in the mail turkeys, quail, ducks, geese, <laughs> rabbits, a full deer. <laughs> UPS, of course, delivered that one. And of course, <laughs> Vinnie Joyce of Mississippi. They sent him a person? No, no. Oh. <laughs> Very laissez-faire in terms of human trafficking. <laughs> you know, what, whatever goes. It's the 20s, man. Uh, Vinnie Joyce of Mississippi thought it was a good idea to capture and essentially send a live raccoon to the president of the United States. Yeah. What's yeah, even yeah. crazier to me is this is the day and age where that was accepted. You right. could do that. Can the, the, the logistics... 
we are going to have to do an episode on the 1920s Postal Service. This is insane. <laughs> Can you imagine what that office is like when these, they're trying to process these packages? It's a zoo. And, and don't get me started. There's more on this that I want to get to. But, but here's the thing. You, you know why he sent Calvin Coolidge this raccoon after all, don't you? Okay, there, there's got to be like a like a there's a raccoon joke I'm missing, or there's a some sort of a no no. It's it's Thanksgiving 1926, and here's the quote that goes along with it. Apparently, uh, Vinnie Joyce of Mississippi thought and and was quite um, firm on the fact the raccoon would have a quote toothsome flavor end quote. <laughs> Rebecca the raccoon is Thanksgiving meal. (laughs) We may have to pause this episode so that I may look up the adjective toothsome. How does that relate to flavor? (laughs) Well, it's got a nice enamel flavor along with it, you know. Right. You know, especially, um, you know, it's got a kind of of a mixture of sort of a halitosis tooth decay, (laughs) but with a little game. I mean, this, this is actually not that unusual. William Howard Taft, famously in 1909, would chow down on a 26-pound possum that that's, he will lovingly name Billy. That's disgusting. For Thanksgiving. That's, <laughs> We're going to have to do a whole episode on Billy Possum because it's Billy absolutely an amazing story. It, it does is, not end there. I, I wonder if we could, you know, they always ask you this question. You know, if you go back and have dinner with somebody, who would it be? I'm going to go ahead and say William Howard Taft. Oh, you One, know it'd be amazing. So, so that we could, uh, you know, I haven't eaten meat in a while, but. So that I could have some of the Billy Possum, but also so that I may ask him, sir, how toothsome is this meal? <laughs> on, a, on a Calvin Coolidge scale of one to ten, or, or Billy Ray Cyrus, or whomever you said it was, they gave it to him. <laughs> <laughs> What's the toothsome level? Where, do, where does this fit on the scale of, of, uh, of one, <laughs> one to toothsome? And uh, it seems to me like a shame that the practice of being able to ship live animals to the present United States has gone away, Right. Can you imagine capturing an animal and sending it to Barack Obama and leaving to him a note? Hey, I think this would taste great. I, it would I be think, toothsome. Uh, here's here's some some fixins for the kids. Um. <laughs> I think your kids would would really get a good bite out of this uh, possum I found in my backyard. Right, right. The thing that it cracks me up is, you know, okay, so let's go back here for just a second. 1926, okay. he's got a deer, he's got geese and rabbits, and these things are all alive. They're all alive, okay. Because this is, you know, pre a lot of early refrigeration, and yeah, the yeah. best way to preserve the flavor is to keep the thing living, right? Right. So can you just imagine the eye rolling from the White House staff as the Thanksgiving neared and they just start getting these... Right, as the parade ensues. This parade of animals coming into the White House that is to be consumed by the uh, the first family. You are alive when they start to eat you. <laughs> uh, he's supposed to eat this thing, right? Rebecca the raccoon is supposed to be eaten, but uh, as you know, that this is not going to happen. Right. Is... Coolidge and his family will feel pity on the little critter and decline to eat it, saying, quote, it might be for some people, but not for me. <laughs> you know, I, again, I'm going to side with Silent Cal on this. <laughs> you know, and... <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna eat this little this little thing. Right. No judgment, but I'm just not gonna eat it. Some people think that this actually might have been the first kind of case of presidential pardoning at a Thanksgiving meal. <laughs> let's get to let's get to the bodybuilding, dude. Like I, I didn't hit the I didn't hit the gym today because I wanted to record this episode. Well, I do have a little bit more on Rebecca the Raccoon. Do we want to do that? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean... Okay. <laughs> As much as I do want to get to the gym, we, we got a little bit more on Rebecca the Raccoon. Now, 
it's okay. So I, as I promised, there's there's a lot of bodybuilding that goes with this raccoon. He didn't just receive this. That's thing. right. That's right. Yeah, uh, walking the raccoon. So first off, one of the tips for body by Calvin is don't eat raccoons. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> You're gonna stick to the more toothsome flavors of deer and geese and turkeys and things like that. But the Coolidge's will not eat Rebecca the raccoon. Actually, what happens next is even I think a more bizarre choice. <laughs> they don't give this trapped raccoon away. They keep it. The public was not terribly shocked as much as we were today. In fact, Calvin Coolidge was kind of known as an animal lover. Okay, see, I, dude, I think I really do like Calvin Coolidge. I mean, he seems like kind of a cool guy, despite his whole, you know, pickle sourpuss kind of face. No, I'm totally on board. <laughs> <laughs> he was known as an animal lover. Of course, this opened the floodgates right. to all kinds of animals being given to him. Which being sent to the White House. was, you know, a day and age when you could just ship live animals to the president like, <laughs> as a normal thing. <laughs> oh, I, I think I know where we're going with this. The press is going to actually start calling the White House the Pennsylvania Avenue Zoo. Because of all the crazy animals. And I got a list of animals here of things that literally were in the White House with the president for a time. Right. And this is in the 1920s. This is not in 2017. Right. 1920s. (laughs) Just to show that the White House is a crazy place today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't need to get into that right now. But it's not that different from the past, from some of the bizarre things that have gone on. Right. History. And this is a real theme here for Humans Are Weird. It's just that... (laughs) Like, we like to think that, oh my gosh, society is decaying and everything's getting worse. Right. But, like, the further you dig in the past, the weirder it gets. Right. Or, or you know, let's say we just, we've been flatlining for literally decades. Right. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is just a continuation of the same ridiculousness that has been going on. <laughs> so, here's some of the crazy animals that uh, they had slews of dogs, lots and lots of dogs, uh, cats. Canaries, you know, the typical, you know, cat bird. Yeah, yeah, thing. okay, cool. But uh, there's some other bizarre animals that actually were bestowed upon the Coolidge's. Uh, there was a black-haired bear <laughs> from Mexico that wow, was sent okay. to him. Uh, uh, there was a bobcat named Smokey. And hey, wait a second. <laughs> Smokey the bobcat. Smokey the bobcat. That's right. Uh, they had a donkey named Ebenezer. <laughs> That's a great name for a donkey. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, an African pygmy hippopotamus that they named Billy. An antelope, <laughs> because you know, right? Why not? I would expect these in the in the Teddy Roosevelt White House so that he could shoot them. <laughs> you hunt them wildly, <laughs> just so that he could shoot them. And I think my favorite bizarre animal, which just shows kind of the weird dry humor that I think is Calvin Coolidge, right? Is he receives a pair of lion cubs? Okay. <laughs> no joke. The day that you can ship live lions to the president, and and nobody really like bats an eye, right? You know, a bear, lions, whatever. Uh, okay, so he gets two lion cubs, and he names them. And this is the names that our uh, our laissez faire uh, president is going to name them. Right. First one will be called tax reduction <laughs> and protective tariff. <laughs> the other one will be named budget bureau. <laughs> But here's a guy who never misses an opportunity to keep the hands-off economics right. into the headline. So most of these animals will end up, you know, as you would expect, in the local zoo. They yeah, will not yeah, keep yeah. an actual hippo in the White House. But amazingly, Rebecca Raccoon will stay as a fixture of the Calvin Coolidge household. That's awesome. Rebecca the Raccoon is going to stick around. And as you can imagine, you know, raccoons are, are wild animals. They're not like yeah, dogs. It's, it's got a, and and they, they've got to always have that kind of that, that smell, like... Kind yeah. of game, you know? Can you imagine toothsome smell? <laughs> it's a too toothsome for my blood. How and you know you got to think too. How would you how would you bathe a raccoon? 
Can you imagine well, Silent Cal trying to put this thing in the bathtub? There's actually an amazing moment uh, when they would put him in the bathtub. Here's a quote from him. Uh, quote, we kept her chained when out of doors, but in the house, she had her liberty. She was a mischievous, inquisitive party, and we had to keep watch of her when she was in the house. She enjoyed nothing other than being placed in a bathtub with a little water and given a cake of soap with which to play. What? <laughs> in this fashion, she would amuse herself for an hour or more, end quote. You know that somebody was just really covering up the fact that replace all references to she with he, and that story is about Calvin Coolidge. <laughs> Or they'd come home and Silent Cow pushes the buzzer. He lets everyone know he's coming home. <laughs> Sneaks in the back door with his raccoon in arm. But I was thinking, actually, he comes home to the raccoon. And he notices that all the drapes are tied in knots. Speaking of drapes, uh, you know, raccoons are wild animals. And this thing was known to terrorize the White House staff. It was Just like Calvin. <laughs> Maybe maybe he saw a little bit of himself in Rebecca the Raccoon. It's his Patronus. <laughs> Expelliarmus or something. So instead of Voldemort's like snake and skull symbol in the sky, it would have like... It's got like FDR's socialism. A big old uh, he who will not be named Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> Rebecca the Raccoon was known to scamper the halls, rip up clothing, upholstery... <laughs> Knocking over plants, and, and even, you know, raccoons are kind of smart, so they would, like, unscrew light bulbs and throw them on the ground. As if to challenge the White House staff, like, do something. Now, the poor White House staff would be desperately trying to catch this thing, and they would put it in multiple cages. They, in fact, call her, quote, a regular Houdini, end quote. <laughs> Uh, as the raccoon would constantly break out of harnesses and, and different leashes and cages because it would just gnaw its way out of almost everything they would put it in. Eventually, someone designed an actual collar that she could not like get to. It was a special collar and chain. And this is where the body by Calvin comes in. <laughs> Calvin was known to uh, love this little raccoon so much that he would often be seen strolling the White House grounds with her in tow. <laughs> body by calvin there like there it is <laughs> you know getting some lunges in with his raccoon in tow doing some full body squats with a raccoon like fully pressed out invigorated from his wheat and rye breakfast i always imagine him getting a little cardio in by pressing that buzzer running up the stairs to try to beat the doorman lift and then buzzing his like desk buzzer and you know him and rebecca just like cuddling <laughs> under the desk as the white house staff desperately tries to find the two of them <laughs> One amazing incident with Rebecca the Raccoon, and I'll put her uh, to rest. The Easter egg roll of 1927. <laughs> this this is actually, uh, we covered this today in class. Did you really? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the kind of history you're going to get in your classroom, and which is why I think it's such a shame that we never get to really talk about these kinds of things. Oh, yeah. This is way better than his political policy. Yeah, we could talk about supply-side economics. <laughs> or we could talk about the women... Children and photographers who were harassed and harangued by Rebecca the Raccoon at an Easter egg party. Yep, I know which lesson I want to hear. Here we have the famous Easter egg event on the White House grounds. It's kind of a, a staple today. You know, right, this yeah, is yeah. a big thing. Photographers and men, women and children and people come out. Something to the tune of 30,000 people. That's crazy. That's so there's all these kids and families on the White House lawn, and somebody thought it would be a brilliant idea to bring Rebecca the raccoon out to <laughs> frolic in the grounds. I think you know? I know who that somebody was. <laughs> Calvin Coolidge. 
With a sly smirk. He, he turned, he reportedly turned to Mr. Starling and said, watch this. <laughs> Starling gave him that look. Calvin, no. Sir, please. <laughs> Rebecca was going to be brought out to mingle amongst the crowd. As you can imagine a wild animal doing with 30,000 kids running and screaming, she's going to panic yeah. and have a freak out moment. The the fascinated children and crowds are going to kind of send her into a frenzy in which she will claw, bite, and scamper her way to try to get to freedom. In fact, even clawing and biting the first lady so badly that she had to receive medical attention. <laughs> and Rebecca the Raccoon will have to be put back in the White House to restore everyone's safety. <laughs> poor thing, and not Mrs. Coolidge. I mean, poor Rebecca. And you know when uh, when Cal saw his poor wife, just, just ravaged by this raccoon. That's nothing a little petroleum jelly couldn't fix. <laughs> just rub a little Vaseline on it and you'll be fine. We know that Calvin has kept his body fit and trim a couple ways. An incredible breakfast, a nice scalp massage. A soothing massage. Your early morning raccoon walks. Right. Um, a good a good prank or two to keep the mind young and, and youthful. Right. We get to the... The, uh, the the coup de gras. The coup de gras. What is what is the final step of true fitness by Calvin Coolidge? <laughs> How do you build that body? <laughs> How do I get a six-pack abs like uh, Boiled Calvin? wheat and rye alone does not create biceps. I've been trying it for years, and it's still not working yeah, for so me. Yes, so have I. <laughs> the, the, the piece of the equipment, you got to remember, you know, science has really come a long way with the, with the types of equipment we now use in the modern gym. You know the, the the various presses and 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 even even raccoon electronic lunges. equipment. Yeah, raccoon yeah. lunges. And you do all these different <laughs> things, and you know you run from the pygmy hippo at the gym, no problem. But then, you know some some of the things is you didn't tell me out of all the animals, no horses apparently were sent to the White House, hmm. which is not entirely true. There, so there was a horse. <laughs> Remember, this is keeping with the times. It's very modern, you know. Yeah. Uh, this is the age of electricity. And 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 somebody I don't know if it was a a friend or an admirer uh, maybe it was me and I used the cosmic fidget spinner to go back in time and send it to him sent him an an electric an electric horse like a like a hobby horse or like a thing that you would ride at the honky tonk <laughs> <laughs> okay so you're gonna have to describe this thing for me because what I'm imagining in my mind is you know the little like uh, the steel horses outside of like the grocery store that you put like 25 cents in I'm imagining that kind of thing is that is that kind of what you're talking about like a little based on the Calvin... pic- on the picture I saw yeah it, it, it probably moved that fast it had a little saddle <laughs> <laughs> and and I guess this is what it was. And apparently he would ride this thing for like up to three hours a day. Are you serious? <clears throat> to, to, you know, strengthen the legs. And you're not going to, you got to, you know, squeeze a lot. You clench. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you work on the, the thighs and the buttocks. <laughs> you know, he may be hands-off economics, but he's hands-on when it comes to thigh building. <laughs> and <laughs> you got to keep a firm grip on your hobby horse. Right. So what it looks like is, I, I don't know who, who sent it to him. But I did find, and this is this is totally a, a plug for for a future show. The guy who apparently took credit for creating the electric horse was a cat named John Harvey Kellogg. Wait, Kellogg like like Kellogg Corn Pops? <laughs> Kellogg like is in or hey, Kellogg Corn Flakes, I guess. Uh, yeah, or it's a Kellogg is in like Don't Touch Yourself. <laughs> what? <laughs> you have to tune in to the next episode of uh, uh, Humans Are Weird to, to figure out. This story's insane. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, but I, I definitely uh, want to hear more. No, you know, this is definitely for another show. And then, of course, like, Kellogg apparently, like, sold the horse by saying that uh, that it perfectly imitated 
a horse's gait. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. You can imagine this this Walmart style horse. <laughs> now I, I'm just I'm trying to wrap my head around this mental image for a moment. Uh, here is Silent Cow, a man known for he wouldn't um, even say yeehaw upon his back. <laughs> no, I I imagine him like candidly looking at Edmund Starling, head of security, as he watches him to make sure that he's safe on this this toy horse. I'm um, saying, woohoo! <laughs> Watch me take off like the economy. <laughs> Just, just to sort of put a sort of a, the weird cherry on top of this just awful boil of wheat and rye mash that we've created here this <laughs> evening, I, I found a quote from Calvin Coolidge's personal. His physician told the Chicago Tribune, and I assume with a straight face, when asked about the electric horse, because I guess people knew that he had this thing, and and he he reportedly replied, "The horse is not much for looks, but it's great for the liver and fine for reducing flesh." <laughs> I know what I'm looking for in a good workout is a nice liver <laughs> liver workout, you know? <laughs> well, that is an amazing way to keep a body by Calvin. Remember, <laughs> exercise the mind, exercise the gullet, and exercise, of course, That's on right. your electric hobby horse. Okay, so I've learned a lot about Calvin Coolidge yeah. that I never really thought. I mean, here's here's a president, silent cow, who is often ignored, misremembered, and and generally right. just overlooked as a, a boring figure of history. But yeah, yeah, really, what an incredible example of how humans truly are weird. All right, everyone, thanks for listening. Please check us out at CuttingClassPodcast.com, where you can check out uh, all the links to connect to us on social media. And better yet, you know, even more helpful to us is, of course, just leave a review in iTunes if you like this. A few stars, some right. sort of feedback, anything. Even if you don't like us, just review it. Yeah, because honestly, we got nothing right now, so yeah, that'd be and, fantastic. And uh, all the hate mail you got, just address it to file 13. <laughs> <laughs> you can put up there with all of our students' comments. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right, so we love it, guys. I hope you guys had a good time, and uh, we will hopefully see you all next time. That's right. We'll see you next week. A news story gets shared by a friend on social media, or you catch a tweet that really makes your blood boil. But how do you separate fact from fiction? That's the premise behind Disinformation, a 10-part series from Evergreen Podcasts and Emergent Risk International coming this fall. Tune in to Disinformation wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, don't believe everything you read.